You're listening to Liberation News, the newspaper of the Party for Socialism and Liberation. What's behind the crisis in Belarus? Anti-government protests in Belarus continue in the wake of the August 9th presidential election. Economic decline, coronavirus mismanagement, and the government's response to the protest have driven many Belarusians into the streets, including youth and industrial workers. Pensioners joined the rallies over the weekend, calling for an end to President Alexander Lukashenko's 26-year tenure and new elections. The ruling Lukashenko administration has acceded to some demands of the protest movement. A constitutional reform will be held, followed by a new round of presidential elections. This has lessened some tensions in the country, but strikes and protests are ongoing. Although the protest's stated target is Lukashenko, the real political aims of the leadership of the opposition is to bring Belarus into the U.S. and European Union's sphere of influence. The opposition's self-appointed leaders openly call for privatization and foreign interference, policies that would immiserate the working class and relegate Belarus again to foreign domination. Belarus and the Restoration of Capitalism For much of its history, Belarus suffered under foreign domination, first by the Lithuanian and Polish crown, and then the Russian Empire. With the 1917 Russian Revolution, Belarus became a sovereign, independent republic within the Soviet Union. During World War II, Belarus was invaded and occupied by Nazi Germany. Approximately 3 million Belarusians were killed by the Nazis during this time, out of a total of 27 million Soviet lives. Despite all of these setbacks, through economic planning, Soviet Belarus developed into an industrial center and the Soviet Union into a global power. Housing, education, healthcare, and a job were guaranteed by the state. The breakup of the Soviet Union and the restoration of capitalism in the early 1990s shattered the lives of workers. Social spending was cut, healthcare privatized, and schools defunded. The new free market paradise witnessed a surge in spousal abuse, child abuse, homelessness, and environmental devastation. Quote, During 1991 to 1995, with the support of international organizations, Belarus initiated preliminary reforms towards transforming into a market economy, according to the World Bank's 2003 Belarus Country Brief. In nearby Russia during this time, 75 to 85% of people lived below or just above the poverty line. A third of the population barely managed to survive from day to day. It was in this context that Lukashenko was elected president of Belarus in 1994, marking a reversal from the trend of privatization. The Belarusian state took over most production, and much of the country's GDP funded social programs and subsidies. Market-oriented reforms were very limited, the World Bank noted, meaning that the capitalist measures destroying workers' lives were held in check by the new Lukashenko administration. Today, state-owned enterprises make up 70% of Belarus's economy. The country's social safety net is among the highest in the region. No domestic oligarchy has been allowed to form, as is the case with other East European countries. Women retire at the age of 56 and men at the age of 61. Belarus maintains a strong and important alliance with its neighbor Russia. 
Nearly half of Belarus's foreign trade and almost all foreign direct investment is with Russia. In 1999, the two countries signed the Treaty on the Creation of a Union State of Russia and Belarus, which would create a confederation of the two former Soviet countries if fully implemented. For Russia, Belarus is a vital economic and geostrategic partner. Russian gas pipelines cross through Belarus en route to Western Europe. And Belarus provides a buffer near Russia's own naval base in Kaliningrad, Russia's westernmost territory. Nationalist administration not without contradictions. Despite key assets being under state control, Belarus is still a capitalist society, and Lukashenko himself a contradictory figure. In recent years, he has deepened cooperation with the West and sought to distance himself from Russia. He has even explored taking out IMF loans and privatizing state-owned enterprises, both long-standing demands of the United States and the European Union. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo went to Belarus in February of this year. Pompeo's trip to Minsk was the first visit by such a high-ranking U.S. official to the country in over 20 years. It was a major signal of openness towards the West and a willingness to fundamentally reorient Belarus's foreign policy. When Belarus entered recession in 2015, Lukashenko ordered the enterprises to cut costs by 25% and find trading partners other than Russia. Bell Invest Bank, the country's largest bank, was marked for privatization under direction from a financial institution explicitly founded to privatize the former Eastern Bloc. As recently as November 2019, the Belarusian government affirmed their intent to privatize the bank. Lukashenko has also at times emphasized or de-emphasized the union treaty with Russia based on political expediency. In 2017, the administration enacted five-day visa waivers for citizens of the U.S. and EU member states, among others. This created a considerable security risk for Russia, which shares an open border with Belarus. In response, Russia set up checkpoints into Belarus, and Lukashenko accused them of violating the Union Treaty. And, in what must have been taken as a grave diplomatic insult to Russia, Lukashenko even voiced approval of the U.S.-backed coup that toppled the Yanukovych government of Ukraine with the key participation of openly neo-Nazi elements in 2014. Privatization and antagonism towards Russia are signals of willingness to open the economy to Western capital and earned Lukashenko praise from imperialist powers. Slow concessions, however, are not enough for the United States and EU, who seek to completely privatize the state-owned enterprises under the guise of modernization. Domestic policy under Lukashenko can only be described as haphazard. Lukashenko dismissed the COVID-19 pandemic as psychosis and even suggested that the virus could be cured by drinking vodka or visiting a sauna. In the electoral realm, opposition figures who registered to run in the presidential race were arrested. And Lukashenko dismissed with sexist remarks women in the opposition who spoke against his government. Personal callousness and economic decline could only alienate large swaths of the population. 
Many young people and industrial workers have joined in the movement against Lukashenko. But in the absence of a strong, progressive opposition, the pro-imperialist right wing has swooped in to fill the void. Sviatana Tsikanuskaya, the West's appointed president. On August 9th, the Belarusian Election Commission reported that opposition leader Sviatana Tsikanuskaya received 10% of the vote to Lukashenko's 80%. Tsikanuskaya alleged fraud, declaring herself the rightful winner. Even before the election, however, she made clear they never intended to respect the outcome. In an interview with Lenta.ru in July, Tsikanuskaya was asked under what circumstances she would recognize Lukashenko's victory. I don't consider this scenario at all, she replied. Early in her campaign, she attempted to portray herself as a political outsider, dodging questions on Belarus's key alliance with Russia. When questioned about the Russian language's official bilingual status, Tsikanuskaya, herself a Russian speaker, stated that this would be put up to vote. More than 70% of Belarusians speak Russian in their everyday lives. Demoting the Russian language in Belarus would be a significant gain for the right wing, who aimed to decouple Belarusian society from its sister country, Russia, economically, diplomatically, and culturally. Yet, alongside the right wing's recent gains, Tsikhanouskaya's assumed political naivete has dissipated. On August 18th, the opposition released a document listing the measures they would enact through 2030. Gone would be the Union Treaty and economic cooperation with Russia. Belarusian infrastructure would be sold off in such a way as to ensure their acquisition by the West. State oversight of mass media would be removed, enabling foreign capital to dominate the airwaves and political narrative. Russian broadcasting would be banned. And, as if their aim could not be made more clear, the opposition program boldly includes potential applications for membership in the European Union and the NATO military alliance. From exile in Lithuania, Tsikhanouskaya and the opposition have created what they call a coordination council, with the express purpose of removing Lukashenko from office and taking over the country. On August 12th, a member of Tsikhanouskaya's campaign staff published a video appeal openly calling for foreign intervention and for other countries to recognize Tsikhanouskaya as the only legally elected president. Lithuania accepted. On August 18th, the Lithuanian parliament, the Seimas, voted unanimously to not recognize the results of neighboring Belarus's elections, going so far as to demand new presidential and parliamentary elections, as well as sanctions on government officials. On September 11th, the Seimas passed a resolution declaring Lukashenko illegitimate and Tsikhanouskaya the legally elected leader of the Belarusian people. The real threat, imperialist domination. What happens in Belarus will resound globally. Militaristic think tank Defense One commented that the situation's outcome will reshape Russian and Western decision-making for years. Russia's westernmost oblast, Kaliningrad, is separated from Belarus by the 40-mile-long Poland-Lithuania border, also known as the Suwalki Gap. Earlier this year, the U.S. simulated a war centered on the Suwalki Gap 
This war exercise with 29,000 U.S. soldiers and 8,000 soldiers from 17 other countries was the largest on European soil in the last 25 years. Russia has reiterated its support for the Belarusian government, while calling on all nations to respect the sovereignty of Belarus and for a peaceful resolution. In an interview, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov stated, No one hides the fact that it is about geopolitics, about the fight for the post-Soviet space. We have seen this fight earlier after the Soviet Union ceased to exist. The last example, of course, is Ukraine. It is all about geopolitics, about the very rules that our Western partners want to impose into everyday life on our continent and other parts of the world. Immediately after the protests began, the United States escalated. On August 15th, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo declared his support for the opposition, saying the U.S. government would help as best we can the Belarusian people to achieve sovereignty and freedom. That same day, Pompeo announced that the U.S. increased its number of soldiers in Poland to 5,000, with the option to increase to as many as 20,000, quote, if a threat justified it. 27 EU countries imposed new sanctions on Belarus for alleged human rights violations. For the opposition, Sunday, August 16th, was to be a decisive anti-government march in Minsk, calling for an end to the bloody regime. Yet more than 65,000 people from all over Belarus joined in a pro-government rally. The Communist Party of Belarus has called on the Belarusian people to step back from the abyss. The Belarusian government, for their part, has engaged in dialogue with the protest movement and striking workers. Formal inquiries have been initiated into police brutality. Lukashenko personally visited a number of major state-owned enterprises. The government has been replaced with new ministers, a handover that usually only happens after a new election. And a call has been made for constitutional reform to be followed by a new round of elections. The symbol of the opposition is a red and white striped flag, first used by the right-wing government of 1918. Collaborationist pro-Nazi elements of the Belarusian government under Nazi occupation also carried this flag in the 1930s. Later, the red and white would be raised by anti-communist emigres against the Soviet Union. And it was this symbol that formed the new government after the breakup of the Soviet Union until it was replaced with the Belarus's current red and green flag. Later, the red and white would be raised by anti-communist emigres against the Soviet Union. And it was this symbol that formed the new government after the breakup of the Soviet Union until it was replaced with Belarus's current red and green flag, a modification of the Soviet flag. People entering the streets in protest in Belarus have raised legitimate grievances, and many parts of the working class have entered into the struggle. Protesters are not in the streets demanding privatized state-owned enterprises, yet this is exactly what the right wing is pursuing with the backing of the U.S. ruling class, and most crucially, the political forces that have taken the leadership of the movement advocate Belarus's entrance into the U.S.-led imperialist orbit. Thanks for listening. You can read more at liberationnews.org. You can follow us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Spreaker, and other podcast platforms. And follow us on social media at PSL Web.